What is going on? It is the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus here on a Friday morning. Glad to have you along as Los Angeles Clippers have a game tonight. So a very quick turnaround after yesterday's loss to Memphis as the Clippers lost 120 to 108. And to break that game down, look ahead to tonight and look ahead to the next couple of weeks is my buddy from the LA Times, Andrew Greif, who joins us from New Orleans. How's New Orleans, Andrew? It's a, it's a clear day. It's kind of warm. It's, it's, I keep forgetting my days of the week because when you travel, it's just sort of like I don't remember what day it is. But I remember it was a Friday, and so there's definitely a buzz around this city. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good day. How is it being back on the road? Because I'm sure it's uh, quite the far cry from what you experienced last year. <laughs> to say the least. It's been great. You know, it's been um, – I think at first you – know, the first – during training camp when we were kind of walking around San Diego state's gym each morning and kind of talking to guys, I think there was probably a little, a break in period for, for players, honestly, where it's sort of like, wait, you know, can they be in the gym? And we've just been estranged for so long uh, because of the COVID protocols that uh, I think by now everyone's sort of like really in this good place where, you know, you just kind of catch up with people and walk around and it's been really, it's been really great to be on the road. Has it made your job a little bit easier in covering the team? Oh, for sure. I mean, you can just, you know, be around people. You, you know, you kind of can bump into people and have conversations. It doesn't require something, you know, formal like a let's let's talk at this time or let's text here. Um, it's just it's really nice where you can just sort of casually talk to people and pick people's brains. And um, I think that's that's what you need as a reporter. So I really appreciate it. Let's chat about the team because they are in the midst of what. People will look at it as one of their easier stretches of the season. A lot of home games mention that you are in New Orleans, one of the very few road games during this stretch from November 7th that started against Charlotte all the way until December 1st against Sacramento. And you can even extend that to December 3rd at the Lakers where the Clippers only leave town for this Memphis New Orleans back to back, which is quite the favorable schedule. However, not as favorable when you have as many games in such a short stretch as the Clippers do when they play Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday uh, against San Antonio, Memphis, New Orleans, and Dallas. When you look at this stretch, I had Adam Oslin on last week, and we looked ahead to, I believe it's a 14 or 15-game stretch. I should know that exact number. Um, While you talk, I'll be able to get that exact number. Where they have pretty much every game is at home uh, until you look to that Lakers and Sacramento, and then obviously you go forward. They're starting two and two on this stretch of Minnesota, Chicago, San Antonio, Memphis. What are your thoughts on how they're playing? Because I had Adam on last week and we were talking about whether they're underachieving, overachieving, just right. And it now kind of feels like this is the team that we should have expected to see, a kind of 500 team. And I think injury certainly plays a role. I mean, you look at Kawhi Leonard is out, and now you look Marcus Morris is hurt. Batum is hurt. Terrence Mann missed a game. It seems like there's only so many injuries this roster can handle. What's your take on where the team is right now? I mean, they've they've handled uh, a whole lot of injuries. I think that, um, you know, the fact that they were able to jump out to a 9-5 and five start, you know, while missing so many of those guys, um, you know, I think that that to me, maybe they're overachieving, but considering we saw the team play that way in the conference finals um, and to close the Utah series while, you know, missing Kawhi Leonard, um, I, I think, and then, you know, missing Zubats, missing Marcus Morris for stretches of the Phoenix series, 
we we sort of knew that that group was the group that doesn't coming back this year. Um, they're tough, you know. They don't fold easily. Um, we've seen that already. So I guess um, I'm not too surprised that they kind of found ways to win in otherwise um, adverse situations. You know that the attrition didn't seem to matter. But you're right. There is a certain point where there is just too much attrition, and they're sort of reaching that point. I think that you know Nicholas Batum is a guy who. Um, is vital to what they do, and you know it's Achilles soreness. I think there's a chance he does play tonight in New Orleans. Um, at the same time, that's a, you know Achilles are tricky. You want, you don't want to do anything to aggravate it, um, and so uh, you know if you, if Batum has to sit for any longer, and you're still missing a guy like Marcus Morris, um, that's when you get into dicey territory. You know because as we saw last night, um, the the rotation starts to get um, you know down to guys who usually I think be, you know, ninth or 10th in the rotation. And now they're playing kind of the, the seventh and eighth or eighth and ninth minutes. So um, I, w- I guess I would argue that they are uh, playing pretty well considering the attrition they've gone through. And I sort of view this as um, a, a really critical time, especially because of the way the schedule turns toward the road starting in the last week of December. I mean, that's that for the next month after that point, it's really tough. So this is a time to sort of fatten up on the on the victories where they can. Yeah, it's eleven game stretch where from the time that Adam and I talked so that Saturday game against Memphis all the way until that Sacramento game on December first. We we're talking about okay, well eight and three is probably where you want to be. Seven and four would be okay because I think they were seven and four at the time. So you go seven and four twice. That's fourteen and eight, and that's pretty decent. So you'll certainly take that. And then you extend it even further and you go L.A., Sacramento, Portland, those three road games. But then again, they're at home again, like you mentioned, Boston, Orlando, Phoenix before finally getting back on the road. And the injuries is certainly something that is difficult to deal with. And all teams are going to have problems when you're missing certain players. And I didn't even mention Serge Ibaka, who just finished his last game at the G League yesterday. And so you add him to the mix and you're missing your backup center. You're missing your starting small forward in Kawhi Leonard. You're missing your starting power forward in Marcus Morris. And it just doesn't help when you keep missing these guys and you're starting guys like Amir Coffey, who frankly shouldn't be in the rotation, to your point. You're, these are guys that you normally would not expect to even see for very many minutes, if at all. And a guy like Amir Coffey is being asked to start. So it's one of those things where you look at this team and once they get healthy, which is a big if, and it's one of the big reasons why I advocated for Eric Bledsoe because of all the games that Pat Beverly missed. Once you get everybody healthy, hopefully that does happen, then this team certainly has the foundation and and they're well coached. But you look at these next couple games, at New Orleans tonight, that should be a win. I mean, this is a team in New Orleans that has not been good at all this year. No Zion still. Brandon Ingram's just making his way back. You play Dallas on Sunday. Who knows if Luka will be healthy? It's possible that he won't play in that game and it's possible he won't play in the next game against the Clippers on Tuesday, November 23rd, as they play back-to-back against Dallas, two games in three days at home. So it's a certainly a favorable part of the schedule. But I guess my question here is, what are the expectations for this team at this point? Because now you're dealing with injuries, and you don't know when these guys are going to come back. We have no idea on Marcus Morris, which has seemed to be one of those very concerning injuries, because like Ibaka last year, we didn't really know what was going on there feels like it's the same for Marcus Morris. How worried should this team be? And to my earlier point, what are the expectations at this point? I don't, I don't, I, this was a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't sense a whole lot of um, worry about Marcus Morris. It was more so 
framed in the context of um, they just want to make sure that he is right when it's the right time. Now, you could argue with this team without Kawhi Leonard, when the margins are slimmer uh, with for injuries, the right time is is really right now, obviously. And you, you can't just say, well, if he comes back in after the new year, um, they'll be fine. You know, there's a, there's a chance, obviously, that, you know, there's more attrition and things go sideways. So you really need a guy like that as soon as you can. But uh, they really feel like they're going to be that team that's in the playoff mix um, come you know early spring. And so as long as he is ready and, and up to speed by the time all that stuff happens, it, that's, that's their ultimate goal, to make sure he's ready for kind of playoff time and the lead up to it to make sure that he's in rhythm. Um, I'm not suggesting that's how long he's going to be out, but I'm just saying that's sort of, they, they want him playing his best basketball some way, somehow by that kind of late March and obviously April. Um, I, I really think that, um, the, the expectations for them right now are, I, you know, I, I think they're living in this really interesting zone, right? Where no one expects them to be, um, the West's, you know, top three, uh, that's kind of an arbitrary number, but let's just say top three, no one expects them to be. Um, you know, out of the playoff mix. And so they're sort of living in that, I would say, four through nine zone, um, where I think they've, most people have, and my, I certainly had them slotted this year. You know, I think that's going to be a tightly packed area, and um, they have every right to be somewhere in that four to nine zone, um, probably among the top half, top half too. So they're meeting it, to my, to my expectations. I think that um, Ty Lee, you can sort of sense the way you know his expectations for the team just in his general mood the way he talks with us you know like when they were starting out the year and they couldn't shoot anything they weren't making anything he just wasn't concerned um you know he just felt very strongly that once they started making shots you know the defense would improve the offense would improve it would all kind of help everything and that, and that really was the case as they went on that that winning streak that ended when chicago came into stable center and beat them um, so, um, I think that Paul George has met expectations and his own personal expectations of being sort of an MVP candidate and leading the team both offensively and defensively. So I think that is a good sign for them that where, where they need, you know, this whole thing rides on Paul George this year. Um, and he has certainly met the bar for that. Um, and then, you know, with Serge Ibaka, that's the one that I'm curious about. You know, that's the one, that's the one position where they almost don't need, um, all that extra strength, you know, like a third center right now, I'm not sure what you, what you do with third center. Realistically. Um, do you, do you play, uh, sort of what they did when Serge immediately came back where you split the first half minutes between the backup centers. And then in the second half, go with whoever had the hot hand. Um, you know, that's one possibility, I suppose, but Hardenstein's played pretty well. And Zubats obviously I think is, um, pretty much, uh, in that starting rotation for good. So, um, it's a. They have bodies coming back. They will get healthier. I don't think this platoon thing is something that's going to knock them out for a long time necessarily. But it is. It is kind of the strange zone where, uh, after living through the last two years where everything was just do or die with this franchise, now you're sort of they're sort of floating in this liminal space between contenders um, and and the also also rans. And you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of teams there. I think of Portland. I think of Dallas and and, and Denver right now. Like so it's going to come down to a lot of key victories. And I think you have to, again, you have to, I say fat up four, but you have to fatten up on these games. Uh, like tonight against new Orleans. Yeah. And you're trying to obviously win these games against the bad teams because you yourself are pretty much a mediocre team and you're right in the middle. And these are the types of games that you need to take care of because when you play the likes 
of a team like Chicago or a team like Milwaukee, where they have more talent than you, then the expectations aren't as high in those games. You got to take care of business here, especially if you want to end up getting that six, seven seed. And for Ty Lue, it's a difficult job now when you don't have that many guys available and it's not exactly how he wants to go about things, but it's probably even more difficult to your point when everyone's healthy and you're trying to figure out the minutes of Marcus Morris and Nick Batum and Hartenstein and Ibaka and Zoo and how many minutes do you end up playing uh, Eric Bledsoe? Do you play him with that bench unit that he's done well with, like with guys like Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard? It seems like everybody has fared well um, recently in that bench unit. I mean, look at Hartenstein and, and Mann and Kennard. Those three guys have been... Really impressive thus far, especially with Luke Kennard, because I think we expected it with Terrence Mann after that playoff performance. Kennard has shown the confidence, and he's got that lethal ability to drain a couple of threes and get the team hot from distance. And, I mean, yesterday they shot 41% from three. You'll certainly take that, 16 of 39. That's really good. They were efficient. They just didn't rebound the ball very well. And Memphis just ended up getting their points early, and they shot 54% from the field. I mean, the defense just wasn't good enough for a team that has fared pretty well defensively. I think Memphis is the only team, um, correct me if I'm wrong, that has put up 120 against the Clippers this season. So it's one of those things where it's difficult um, to obviously win against a team like Memphis, but you just got to try and take care of business when you can. It starts, obviously, with New Orleans. But you mentioned something interesting with Ibaka that I want to go back to and I wasn't really expecting to discuss. Do you think that now he becomes a trade ship? Because Hartenstein has obviously performed pretty well, and Zoo is that starting center. So is he someone that you think could possibly be on the block come trade deadline time? Because I'm not, like you said, I'm not sure where he fits in now with this team. Or do you hang on because of an injury to Zoo or Hartenstein? You're definitely going to need him. Well, I think, you know, in both cases of both centers, you know, their contracts run out at the end of this season. You know, um, it's not like when the Clippers got Hartenstein, they. Kind of added, they were able to add another year to it where if he, if he flashed this year and did some nice stuff, um, that, you know, they, they could basically reap the rewards of that. So I, it's sort of, do you, um, if he does play that well, do you think he, hey, he's younger? Um, maybe he'll enjoy it so much. A la a Reggie Jackson or Nick Batum, he'll just love his experience so much that we bring him back. Uh, that's one possibility. And yeah, maybe in that scenario, you look to deal search. I mean, any other any other way who has more value you know uh, in a league um is it the younger guy um or is it the proven veteran who has the, the more like the injury more recent injury history so uh i think those are questions obviously that have to be sifted through um you know from december through the trade deadline um because i you know hartenstein has shown a lot you know and i i really think that um he might have more value potentially uh, in a trade in a trade machine, I don't know. Uh, but if and that's you would do that, I think only because you as a team, um, if you have just ultimate confidence that hey, if we're going to make this playoffs and we really want that kind of um, as many vets as we can, that veteran experience. Do, do you like surge in those moments um, versus versus an Isaiah and the playoff moments? Do you, do you bet on him? Um, so uh, you could, I think you could go either way potentially theoretically with like trade chip talk with centers because, you know, both guys uh, it provided surge actually comes out and plays and plays well, uh, you know, both guys can have a lot of gifts um, and it's sort of 
I guess who gives you the best position to do what you want, what you think you can do come playoff time. Yeah, and then, of course, you add in the fact that if Kawhi does come back, let's say in March or something, then you have those small ball lineups where guys like Marcus Morris will play the five, and you so you have three centers, and when you end up playing small ball uh, basketball, it's certainly going to be interesting what Lawrence Franken company does at the deadline because it feels like this team, Andrew, is built around Paul George, who's a superstar, and a lot of really good players. There's no number two type guy. Reggie Jackson has obviously been that number two scorer. But when you look at that roster, there's no real weaknesses when they're healthy. But I'm not sure they have that oomph to get them over the top without Kawhi Leonard. Does that make sense? Yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and move on. But before we get to a little breakdown of last night, from all the biggest games to the smallest events, make every bet worth your while with my bookie. Start by doubling your first deposit instantly with my bookie's first deposit bonus. Double your money before you even place a bet. And all you have to do is sign up and deposit using my exclusive promo code HoopBall at my bookie. Tons of great games and prop bets to take advantage of this week, but let me point you in the right direction for your first wager. This Saturday, the, M- Saturday, the NBA is jam-packed, exciting games for you to get on. The Charlotte Hornets are taking on the Atlanta Hawks and what's sure to be a high-scoring matchup plus... A superstar showdown between Tobias Harris and Damian Lillard will be going down when Philadelphia travels to Portland. There's no better starting point for your MyBookie experience, so get in on all the best NBA action this weekend. Don't wait any longer. Head to MyBookie today to redeem your double deposit bonus so you can get in the game and start winning big today. That's promo code HOOPBALL to receive double your deposit instantly in your account. No hassle, no wait. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. All right, Andrew, let's quickly go back to last night and then we'll look ahead to tonight. Last night, a 12-point loss to Memphis. Like I said, the second time the Clippers had given up 120 points to Memphis. Paul George, a very efficient 9 of 18, 5 of 9 from 3, only one turnover. A solid performance from him. Reggie Jackson had four threes as well, 18 points. Zoo, 13 and 7. Tough games for Bledsoe. It really seemed like this is the Clippers team that is not going to beat the likes of Memphis when you have Amir Coffey in the starting lineup. I mean, Coffey's a fine player. But it really felt like last night, not even a schedule loss because it wasn't that. It was just an injury loss. Is it as simple as that for the Clippers losing that game yesterday? It just undermanned. Well, it's, it, they, you know, Memphis did have an extra day of rest, and the game they played on Monday was such a blowout win against Cleveland. I mean, against Houston um, that they basically didn't have to use much energy <laughs> to win that game. So it really was. Um, a, a rest disadvantage for the Clippers. Um, but, you know, this came down to injuries, certainly. I mean, think that, you know, the way that John Morant was able to get into the paint over and over again, um, you know, does Nicholas Batum help that point of attack defense that Ty Lue criticized after the game? In some form or fashion, yes. I think he makes them better defensively. He's a big reason why they were the number two half-court defense entering last night. Um, so I think that, you know, having a Batum um, contribution there would have helped at the same time Brandt is just I mean it's not like he did anything they weren't expecting I mean you just know this team what they're going to do I mean Taylor Jenkins is a good coach and that he gets them to do things um even though opponents can load up on it you know like the, the Grizzlies scored 72 points in the paint last season at home against the Clippers uh, it left Tyloo you know furious after that game um they scored 74 yesterday um I mean it's it's really amazing what they were able to do, even when you know everything is coming, when you know John Morant is looking for that way to 
to get around a, a Steven Adams screen and get in the paint. He's still able to do it. I mean, there were some instances where the, uh, I know that, you know, maybe the, the point of attack defense could have been better, but like one time he went up into zoo's arms, basically like jumped up in the third quarter and zoo met him vertically, pure verticality, uh, arms straight up and Morant still scored off the basket somehow, like off the, um, off the backboard. So it's Morant is that classic type of special player. I mean, Paul George asked him afterward last night, like kind of after he compares him to someone and he said it was Derek Rose just because of his ability to levitate up there, just use pure force as a small guy. So um, I think what was more, you know, harder pill to swallow for Ty Lue was what he thought was a, kind of just standing around holding the ball over dribbling for no reason. And, you know, there's going to be some of that this year, right? When you have Paul George as your no doubt focal point, but he really felt like this was, um, you know, spread around. That there was not enough ball movement um, and they didn't get to the second side as quickly as they wanted and be able to attack and probe the paint like they should have been able to and, uh, you know, thus open the floor for more shooters. So I think I'd be really curious tonight to see one, what they do on the offensive glass and the defensive glass, because they were just, they were really beaten there last night uh, poorly and they outre- out-rebounded by 13. You know, how they protect the paint in terms of, uh, you know, guards getting into the paint. I mean, what, do they, do they switch at all coverages? Do they try to, you know, instead of having zoo and drop, do they sort of bring him up higher up to hedge? Um, I'm just really curious to see if there's sort of an immediate reaction to what, the way they played last night. And then offensively, uh, you know, again, just how quickly they can move the ball and keep defenses guessing. Yeah, it's tough to win games against a team like Memphis when you're playing Scrub, Boston, and Coffee. I mean, those are three of your ten guys um, in the rotation yesterday. And you mentioned some good points. And the thing with John ja Morant is that the leap that he's taken this year is something that no one expected. He was really good in the playoffs last year. But to see him shooting 50% from the field when last year he shot 45%, and more importantly, 38% from three when he was 30% last year, I mean, he's increased his points per game from 19 to 26. It's been an incredible leap, and the guy is just fearless. And when you play against a team like Memphis that has John Morant, and then you add in the other guys around them, like Dylan Brooks, who's now healthy, and Desen Bain and Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark. It's a really good team. It's very similar to the Clippers in which they have a lot of good players with that one superstar player. It's just that the good players are a little bit better. And to be honest with you, the you look at Memphis and they're at home. And you mentioned the rest advantage. And you mentioned, I mean, you look at their home record. They're now 6-3 and three at home. They're a good home team. The Clippers have struggled a little bit on the road to start. So I just look at that game yesterday, and it's one that certainly favored, I think, Memphis. They were a very slight favorite in Vegas, but you look at tonight, and it's a Pelicans team that it just feels like they're kind of in shambles at the moment, and I'm curious right now. I'm actually looking at the line. The Clippers are only three-and-a-half-point favorites at New Orleans, which means that Vegas certainly thinks that it could be close, which is a little worrisome, honestly, Andrew, because it feels like it's going to be close according to Vegas, just because the Clippers are so decimated by injuries. If they get Batum back, I think that makes a world of difference. Whereas the Pelicans, they've got some players. I mean, Valanchunas has been a beast on the boards. You mentioned rebounding. He's averaging 13 rebounds per game. Then you bring in guys like Brandon Ingram and Devonta Graham, who was on Charlotte last year, and they've got a solid team. So it, it seems like the Clippers certainly cannot walk into this game tonight, Andrew, looking at the Pelicans record at 2-14 and 14, and say it's going to be an easy win. Because I don't think that's going to be the case. They're, uh, yeah, one and nine in their last 10. <clears throat> you know, they've only won one game at home, one and six at home. 
Um, Pelicans are, you know, they're not, they're not particularly good team. So uh, I just, they seem like they're really out of sorts behind the scenes with just the Zion and, you know, the way it made it seem like on media day that he'd be ready for the season opener. Of course, he's nowhere near close and they had to, you know, backtrack that. Um, I, you know, I, I think that this is a game, interestingly enough, it's almost two years to the day since Paul George debuted as a Clipper here in New Orleans. Um, he went off that game. I don't think the Clippers, um, you know, come out and lose this one. I just think they are, um, you know, they are, there's, there's more sound in ways that the Pelicans are not. And I think the defense, you know, I, I don't know. I think that last night, um, you know, a lot of teams would have trouble with Moran. I think that they'll have much better luck against this team. Um, and offensively, I think it was actually encouraging if you're the Clippers that the way they shot the ball, the way they limited their turnovers, I know they finished, I think, with 14 turnovers, but I think some of those were in sort of the garbage time last eight minutes of the game. Um, you know, they, they really shot the ball well, and it wasn't like a total collapse against Memphis where it kind of multiple facets of the game went, went wrong. Uh, I think that they just really got overwhelmed in that third quarter uh, when Morant went off. And even PZ scoring 12 points in that quarter couldn't help things. So I I guess I would expect them to come out of this clearly with a split um, going into a two-game set against Dallas, where, as you mentioned earlier, you know, Luka Doncic is, you know, has the left knee, has the left ankle. Um, no guarantee he will play. And I think that's obviously got to be good news for the Clippers. It feels like rebounding. You mentioned it. It's going to be really important tonight. You look at yesterday, and the leading rebounder for the Clippers was seven, and that was Zoo. It just doesn't seem like that's enough. I think they need to rebound better. Um, they shot the ball, like you said. They shot the ball well. They were perfect on the free throw line. Only got there eight times. PG didn't get there any times. And we've talked about that at nauseum this season when you, you talk about the calls that PG does, does not get. But like you said, they shot the ball well. Only had 13 turnovers. Not even 14. It was 13, according to ESPN. And they got out-rebounded, and that seems like that's going to be the key today. So it's really about who wants it more in effort. And the way that Ty Lue coaches, it seems like he gets his guys up when it really matters. So I'm with you in that I think that this should be a win for the Clippers. But at the same time, I hope that they don't walk into this one thinking it's going to be an easy win because that's just not going to be the case. New Orleans, it may not be good um, record-wise, but they've just got the guys in place to kind of make – your life a little chaotic, and JV has just been tremendous to surf this year. He's a walking double-double, and Hart's a solid player as well. And then, of course, you have Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who's a bright young talent. So they've got those guys. It just feels like tonight, I think rebounding is going to be important, and I think the bench is going to be really important, Andrew, because Memphis, or rather New Orleans, doesn't have much of a bench at all. And so if you're the Clippers, you got to have guys like Mann clicking, and you got to have Kennard be that guy you hope he can be. And Hartenstein continues strong play. It feels like, apart from rebounding, would you agree that the bench seems to be pretty important in tonight's matchup? Oh, absolutely. Well, they're, I think they're important this entire season because of the way they bring the energy with Hartenstein, Kennard, and Mann. I mean, that's yeah. it's the engine um, Tyler talks about all the time. That's why entering last night, at least, I haven't checked it today, they were number one in the league in net rating in the second quarter. They were top six in net rating in the third quarter, too. But really, that second quarter is a huge product of that bench unit when they get a lot of their run. Um, you know, New Orleans, the last two weeks, they are 29th in, uh, in defense. They are 23rd in offense. Um, you know, the league average is about 108 uh, points per 100 possessions, um, both offensively and defensively the last two weeks. And the Pelicans are allowing 116 points per 100 possessions in the last two weeks. So 
uh, other than Toronto, um, they are the league's worst defense in that span. So I think that the way that the Clippers played last night offensively, although they didn't maybe pass the ball as much or move it as well as Tyloo liked, they still shot it very well. And I, I would think that uh, on such a quick turnaround, that's got to be a good omen for confidence for the Clippers. Yeah, and just a small note here on New Orleans. The Pelicans' last game against Miami, they had five bench guys appear on the floor, a total of 13 points between the five guys. So they rely on their starters heavily. I mean, Hart played 38 minutes, Ingram played 37, Graham 31. So they certainly rely on their starters. So if the Clippers' bench unit can can spark this team, then that'd be great. And you mentioned the second quarter, Andrew, but you wish that they could show that type of energy in the first quarter. It seems like every single game, the Clippers are struggling to start. And it's so frustrating to watch as a fan. And it just in general, as someone that enjoys the sport of basketball, and knows how good a team could be. This first quarter thing is certainly odd. What do you, what do you make of it? There's, I think they, there's a sort of uh, a veteran, I think there's, I, I, this, it's too, too broad strokes to paint this across the league, but I think there is something with veteran teams where they sort of use their opening minutes as a feel-it-out portion, and they have confidence in themselves to be able to fix it later. And once they do sort of, okay, is, is what they're running, does that line up with the scouting report? What's going on here? Um, once, you sort, once they sort of get a feel for it, I think they sort of, okay, now we go. I think you see that from veteran teams. Um, and... I think from young teams, I think you obviously you see the pure energy. Um, so that's my that's my thought, you know. And obviously they cannot do that. I think that Ty knows that this group has unlimited self assurance in its ability to rally. He said that so many times. How you know, they, although they have this deep reserve of belief that they can pretty much overcome whatever deficit is put in front of them, uh, they can't do that anymore. And and we all know that, but. Uh, I think that there is a, a feel it out period for this team that certainly goes on too long or shouldn't be happening like it has where they just fall behind. But uh, I think it speaks to their kind of veteran presence that, okay, once we kind of see the way the gears are turning, we can figure it out. Um, obviously, that they, that puts them in dangerous spots every time. And that's why the man, Kennard, Hartenstein units and so important because they do, they have typically been very good at bringing energy that maybe sometimes uh, like right off the bat that isn't there with the starters. And they're also pretty efficient, obviously, with the way Luke Kennard's been shooting um, and Hartenstein and Man have been playing as well. I know some people were confused at why Amir Coffee was starting, and it certainly feels like Ty Lu wants to keep those three guys together off the bench. And so, sure, Man could enter the starting lineup, but it seems like he likes Man, Kennard, and Hartenstein off the bench, and that's the reason why he started Coffee. So, We'll see if he goes with that again tonight. Final thing for you. We've seen some Brandon Boston Jr. minutes over the last couple of ball games. What are your been what has been your impression so far of the young kid? I mean, I, I can't get enough Brandon Boston Jr. minutes. Um I was asking someone before his game against the Spurs when it was clear they would need to go to their bench and play Brandon some minutes and I was just sort of like and I can't, I was like, I told him before the game, I said, I'm really excited about to see what happens because he's like a live wire out there. And, you know, the response was, we all can't wait to see what happens. You know, he's just really um, enticing. And, and it's not just because he has the talent, but he has like, you know, the, the shot that's hard to block because he's so long. Um, it's not just the, the young legs. It's like, there's a, 
there's a real kind of killer mentality in there that people always bring up with him. Like the lack of fear uh, is why he has endeared himself really since um, the beginning of the draft process. You know, that his, his poor season at Kentucky notwithstanding, I mean, they just love the way he attacked the workouts during the draft. They love the way he basically attacked the pickup games in September. I mean, he doesn't see a matchup he doesn't like, you know, like he, he believes utterly kind of like how the vets believe that they can overcome a deficit. He looks at pretty much any defender and thinks I can get a bucket on you. Um, and obviously that confidence doesn't always get repaid. Um, but he is just, um, that is his greatest gift as a rookie right now is almost as ignorant that he is like just such, um, in, in has such a strong regard for his own skill set offensively um, that he just steps into situations where maybe another rookie would naturally and appropriately feel like, oh boy, I, okay, I got to watch out for this. And he just says, I, I got this. Um, Paul George said that he reminds, uh, Boston reminds him of himself when he was a rookie in Indianapolis when he walked in with the same thing. Like, you know what? Like, I'm going to use these minutes, even if it's just garbage time to get something out of it. I'm not just going to play. I'm going to go out there with a purpose. Um, he has said, this was during training camp, that Boston, though, is a much better shooter than he ever was as a rookie. So he advanced in a lot of ways in terms of like the, the belief, the shooting. Uh, they need to work, get him better on defense. Um, but it's not for lack of trying. In fact, Ty Lue had said yesterday in Memphis before the game that he is um, he's, it's, he's a hard worker on, def- on defense, and it's a matter of making sure he understands the fundamentals, which he's been eager to learn. So, I mean, the Clippers love him. The Clippers absolutely love him. It's great having some young talent on this team between Terrence Mann and now Brandon Boston Jr. I mean, a guy that they drafted 51st overall that turns 20, I believe, next Sunday. A lot of young talent now on this team, and the future seems to be a little bit brighter. Um, Of course, you add in the veterans, and it's a team that certainly is exciting to watch. And you mentioned Brandon Boston Jr. and how PG said that it reminds him of himself. That's high praise. And if Brandon Boston Jr. can be two-thirds of what PG is, the Clippers have themselves quite the player. So it's certainly fun. I hope you get a chance to watch him a little bit more tonight. I'm sure he'll get some more minutes with the Clippers being hurt by injuries. Hopefully the Clippers get Batum back on the floor. Where can people find you? Where can they read you? Go ahead and promote everything that uh, you've been doing, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, obviously LA Times please subscribe. You know, uh, we, we do this, we get to travel because we have subscribers. And, uh, and when we travel, we get better stories. Honestly, that's, that's really the calculus to it. Um, we, we see this team, we're around this team so much more. And so uh, we're really grateful for the subscribers who keep us on the road, keep us doing what we're doing. So latimes.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Greif as well. And, you know, I'll be doing some stuff throughout this year. That's not just Clippers related, but broader NBA that I'm excited about. So, I guess look for that here and there as well. Are you going to get yourself a beignet before the game? I did it. already did it. Nice. I got it at the airport. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You can catch Andrew on Twitter. Of course, read him at the LA Times. Always fun to have him here on this podcast. Andrew, thanks for the time, man. Thank you so much. Before we say goodbye, got to talk about our friends over at Manscaped. Boy, they have the right tools to get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. It doesn't matter if you're looking for a Christmas gift, a Hanukkah gift, a birthday gift, whatever it might be, get the man in your life, the brand new Lawnmower 4.0 and Ultra Smooth Package. It's perfect for you, anyone in your life that you know could use some grooming. 20% off and free shipping with code HOOPBALL20 
at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. Stop getting those scissors out, getting those nicks and cuts. Stop doing those silly things to try and groom below the belt. Go with Manscaped. Their stuff is super easy to use. It's a fair price. Their 7,000 RPM trimmer features skin-safe technology to make sure that you don't get those manscaping accidents. Multifunction on-off switch can engage in a travel lock, perfect for jet setters. They've got that 4,000K LED spotlight. You can turn it on and off when you need more precise shave. Everything that you want is there with the Lawnmower 4.0. Get 20% off and free shipping code HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com. It's 20% off and free shipping code HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com. So tonight, the Clippers take on New Orleans and what, by the time you're listening to this, it's very possible the game has already occurred. If so, apologize. A tight window, obviously, with all these games happening for the Clippers Thursday, Friday, Sunday, and then, of course, before that, Tuesday. So trying to get you a podcast, though, to talk about what's been going on with the Clippers. So games tonight, hopefully the Clippers pull that off. And then two games against Dallas. And I got to tell you, if Luka plays, I'm worried. If he doesn't play, I think the Clippers certainly have a pretty large edge. And it certainly depends on what happens with Nick Batum. The Clippers need him back. They need to have him in the starting lineup. Eventually, they'll get Marcus Morris back. I'll be excited to see that. My guess is they get Ibaka back as well for those games against Dallas. So we'll see how he does. Because if you can get the Serge Ibaka that Toronto had, boy, you've got yourself a really good team and a really good big man that can help spread the floor and will do a lot of damage in games where you can use that big five to shoot the three. So we'll see how they do against Dallas both Sunday and Tuesday. Then a game on Friday against Detroit. So that game is at 12.30 p.m. So try and get you a podcast between Friday and Sunday. That game Friday at 12.30 and then the game Sunday at 12.30. So always thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I'm at BD Marcus on Twitter. And if you're looking for the Clippers Twitter handle for the Hoopball Clippers podcast, stay tuned because it is no longer Hoopball Clips. The Hoopball brand is being switched. It's sports ethos so keep an eye out it's going to be at ethos clippers if you want to follow us on twitter e-t-h-o-s clippers on twitter so big congratulations to brew and dan and everybody with hoopball for the name change as they incorporate more than just basketball into your lives rate and review the podcast you get a chance on itunes five star review give us a rating or five star rating give us a review as well always will appreciate so until next time i'm brandon marcus Thank you to my guest, Andrew Greif, and go Clips!